So just so you know, <clears throat> I had a really bad cold two Sundays ago, and it's virtually gone, but if it comes back, you, you, you'll know during this next few minutes. Hopefully we'll be okay. So um, this number, the number 40, is a big number. It's a big number um, in the world, and it's a big number in the Bible. Anybody know where the, word, where the number 40 comes in the Bible, for example? Just shout it out. 40 days and 40 nights where Jesus was in the wilderness. Where else, where else do we see 40? 40 years. 40 years of? Of wandering in the desert, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Moses was on Sinai, Mount Sinai, for 40 days and nights. When Jonah went to Nineveh, his message was, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. He went around saying, <clears throat> 40 is also used to indicate a, a, a long period of time as well. So we're told that um, Saul, King Saul and King David and King Solomon all reigned for 40 years. It's a big number in the Bible. And actually, it's a number that you still find in, in our world today. Uh, that word quarantine, which we've become so fed up of in the last two years, is based on the biblical idea of 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, it comes from a Latin quadriginta. Uh, and in the plague, the first port to, uh, to insist on a quarantine, ships coming in, was what we now call Dubrovnik. And it was the 40 days and nights in the Bible. And we are in this uh, period of 40 days running up to Easter, or what we call Lent. Lent is this period uh, where we uh, build up to the um, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For some Christians, it's a very important time. Um, not People will give things up for Lent, won't they? People will not just chocolate or coffee. But I was just looking around, Googling around what people are giving up for Lent. And some people are giving up worrying. Well, that would be good. Um, that'd be giving up squaring, also good. Giving up TikTok. Somebody said they were giving up men for Lent. I thought, oh, didn't, didn't, didn't pursue that. But it is a serious topic for many Christians to give something up. And why is that? Well, it's partly to test their own self-discipline, which is a good thing, but partly also as a reminder of the testing that Jesus put himself through through 40 days and nights in this passage we will read. This 40 days and nights in the wilderness, in the desert, left him physically weak and vulnerable. And yet, somehow it brought him closer to God. And that's why Christians do Lent, to bring ourselves closer to God. And so today, ask the question, what actually happened in the desert with Jesus in those 40 days and nights? You probably know there were three tests or three temptations that were brought to him. So we're going to talk about those. Uh, but just the prelude to this is Jesus' baptism. Jesus in Luke chapter 3 has just been baptized in the Jordan. And heaven has opened and God has said, this is my son. He's named him. This is my son with whom I'm pleased. And then immediately we find this passage. So um, Andy, if you could bring up the passage, please. So this is from Luke chapter 4. Um, and it says, then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, he's just been baptized, left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit, so God is leading him into this, into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. 
It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So Jesus has just been baptized. Um, times of testing can often come uh, can often come after a, a time of closeness to God. I don't know if you've seen that in your Christian life. Many Christians have. I have a wilderness experience. I experienced straight after my baptism where I felt led to a foreign country. Ultimately, it formed me as a Christian. But it was a time of great testing, a year of great testing for me. Um, he's full of the Spirit, so he's, he's being led by the Spirit. God is somehow directing this. And there's parallels back to the Old Testament, back to the time in the wilderness which where the Israelites wandered for 40 years and in fact all of the quotes that Jesus gives back to the devil are from the book of Deuteronomy the book of Deuteronomy is the law given to Moses uh, given to the Israelites in the desert as they were about to enter the promised land it's the second time the law was given to them deuteronomos deutero meaning second nomos meaning law second giving of the law and all his responses are from Deuteronomy so that's a couple of uh, introductory comments. Now let's step into the passage and look briefly at these three temptations and ask the question, what does it mean for us today in 2022? We too feel like we've been in a wilderness for a couple of years, don't we? Some still in that wilderness. So what are the lessons from these three temptations for us in our post-COVID, post-Brexit world? So the first temptation, stones to bread, I've called, oh there it is, I've called, give me what I want right now, give me what I need right now. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, but he's still hungry, he's famished. He's had 40 days with no solid food, only fluids. And this is a challenge to his identity, if you are the son of God, I mean after all, you're the one who turns water into wine. Same kind of thing, isn't it? Surely God wouldn't object if you just turned this stone into bread. Surely God doesn't want you to starve if you are who you think you are. Or maybe you're not who, who you think you are, Jesus. This is the challenge to his identity. And Jesus quotes back the first half of this verse from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is the second half. Man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, this is my choice. It's not just about food. There's more to life than what we eat. This is making me weak, but it's my father's will. This is not about satisfying my immediate physical need. So what does that mean for us today? Give me what I want right now. has lots of applications. And we could talk about lots. I'm just going to talk about one, which is the rise of impatience. Give me what I want right now is a reflection of an impatient, I need it now attitude, an attitude of entitlement that sometimes we have. You know, there's more anger and more impatience around now than there was before COVID. I've seen it in others. I've seen it in myself. 
And a couple of weeks ago at a conference that we attended, a minister's conference, Phil Jump, the regional minister, said, have you noticed, he said, how much more anger there seems to be after COVID? In our churches, how much more impatience there seems to be? One reason, I think, is we've simply fallen out of the habit of meeting together, of being together physically. We're not in that habit anymore, rubbing up against each other. <clears throat> We're unused to these relational one-to-one conversations. We've got used to e-communications, electronic communications, which is great. I'm a big fan. I've worked for 30 years in the telecoms industry. Before that, my PhD was researching protocols for mobile telephony, which are now used worldwide. I'm a big fan of electronic communications. But not only is it not the same, electronic communications can engender, can encourage impatience. Well, probably in the last two years, you've all, I've certainly seen your own mini version of Jackie Weaver's uh, parish council meeting where somebody just gets really angry online. Emails, Zoom calls, whatever it is. And we need to get used to being together again, to meeting together again. We need to learn what that means. Make no mistake, impatience is on the rise. I was so pleased that uh, Scott, one of our leaders, is organizing a church day out in the early summer. You'll hear about it. It's not a big deal. It's not a week or a weekend. It's just a day to get used to being together again, having conversations, eating together, something that we've lost the habit of. Now, I spoke uh, in le- at length about impatience and conflict a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go over all that again. But I'm just going to give you the, the four words that I left you with two weeks ago. Soft hearts and thick skins. Soft hearts and thick skins versus a spirit of entitlement. Soft hearts meaning, I will try to understand the other person's point of view. I will try to put myself in their shoes. And thick skin meaning, I won't... I'll go around being offended. I won't go around getting offended by people. I'll assume they don't want to offend me. Soft hearts and thick skins. So that's test number one. Stones into bread or give me what I want right now. Test number two I've called, which is where uh, he t- he shows, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and says, all this can be yours if you worship me. So I've called this, of course I love God, but actually, I prefer XXX. Of course, I love God, but really, I love this. And in a series of visions now, Jesus is taken to different places. First of all, he's taken to this high place. And showed, the devil shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all this authority and splendor if you only worship me. Here is the test. Everything the world can offer if you only worship me. Jesus' reply, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Very straight, very simple reply. I am on the Lord's side, says Jesus. So what about us? Are we tempted sometimes? Are we not also tempted sometimes to give our worship elsewhere? I think we are. I am. What other things? We say we worship the one God and we do, but sometimes it's easy to fall into the worship of something else. I think our wealth is an easy thing to worship. For many of us, we frequently, frequently involves a bigger house, more gadgets, more expensive clothes, more things that, that say, here's where I've arrived. Here's, look, we've arrived. Our wealth is something we can worship. Actually, I think our well-being sometimes is something we can worship. 
It's good to be well and to be healthy and to look after our bodies. That is all scriptural. But with the plethora of programs, vitamins, stuff to put into your bodies, and all the, all the things now you can measure, not just steps anymore, but calories and, and heart rates and um, all kinds of breathing, sleep. Uh, and it's all good. I'm a big fan of gadgets. I like gadgets, right? But not when it becomes an obsession. It becomes something that we're primarily concerned with. And we're already healthy. Most of us, if we're already healthy, we don't need to obsess about these things. Perhaps another thing we can worship is our work, our status. And I think we can actually also worship our families, particularly our children. Particularly if they're doing wonderfully well. And one way we can worship these things is to parade them in some way. So if you've been, if you're fortunate enough to have been on a wonderful holiday, fantastic. Might not be necessary to tell everybody. Um, if, it, if, if you're in a situation where your children are doing fantastically well, they've all got great professional jobs and working in Christian ministry, that's really good. But just be aware if you're having that conversation with somebody. Some parents, including some in this church, are heartbroken because of what their children are going through. Just be aware of that. I, I, I was uh, witness to a conversation a year or so ago where one person perfectly innocently said to the other that, you know, I, I'm really struggling because my child, they won't revise for their exams. I just can't get them to focus. And it's such a, such a nuisance. I'm really, really going through a bad time. And the other parent said to, said to me later, I wish that was my problem. I wish the only problem I had with my child was their exams. I'm so at, at an end, I don't know what to do. If, if the exam was the problem, I would love to have that problem. It's good to make conversation, but be aware of who we're talking with. Be grateful for the things we've got, but just don't flaunt them. That's where we start to worship them. And let's take care to try to keep God at the center. It's easy to fall into worship of other things. I think we all do it sometimes. Keep God at the center, not just the one we ask to make all these other things great and wonderful. So it's worth asking the question, sometimes, do I feel entitled? Do I ever use these as replacements for you, Lord? Do I ever use these as replacements for you, Lord? Test number two. I do love God, but I really love something else. And then test number three, the final one, which I've called, which this is where um, the, uh, Jesus is transported to the temple and told, just throw yourself off because God will save you. He won't let anything bad happen to you. So I've called this, Lord, if you really care about me, you'll do this one thing. Lord, if you really care, just do this one thing for me. I need you to do it. And I'm going to take this one into a slightly different direction. It's the final vision. Jesus is taken to the top of the temple. He's challenged again. If you really belong to God, surely he will save you, Jesus. Surely he won't let you down on this. Oh, and by the way, here's a verse from Scripture, Jesus. It's gamesmanship. Uh, Psalm 91 uh, he's quoted, you, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully so you will not strike your foot against the stone. If you really belong to God, Jesus, surely he'll do this one thing for you. If God protects his own, surely nothing bad, really awful can ever happen to you. Oh, and by the way, says the wily devil, 
because you're so keen on scripture, here's a verse of scripture. It's taken out of context because Psalm 91 has nothing to do with falling from heights or falling from temples. And the whole idea that nothing bad will happen to us is not scriptural anyway. That nothing awful will happen to, to Christians is not scriptural anyway. I wish it was. But last time I looked, as many Christians had cancer as non-Christians. As many Christians were dying in road traffic accidents as non-Christians. As many Christians had COVID as non-Christians. Last time I looked, that's not the promise that God makes. Jesus answered him and said, do not put the Lord your God to the, to the test. We're not to test God. You know, there's only one place in the whole of Scripture where God says, test me. Test. Do you know where that is? Anyone know where that is? But God says, test me. It's in Malachi chapter 3, and it's to do with giving, our giving of money. God says, open up your resources and give them to me and test me and see if I don't bless you. That's the only place. We won't talk about that. But otherwise, we are not to test God. And in the tests that we sometimes set up, we're in difficult situations in life. We want to see, we we want to be sure that God is for us. And so we have this test. We say, God, if only you do this. It's not about leaping from tall buildings, but it's where we say, in effect, if you really care for me, Lord, then this situation must turn out this way. I must get this job. I must be healed of this. It's a tough one because we're asking for something that may seem good. And we can end up deeply disappointed in God. And that can be very undermining to our faith. I'm just going to tell you about this chap for a minute. He's Seth Walker. He's about my age. He's in his late 50s. But 30 years ago, I'll just give you a, a second to read that, actually. So Seth was brought up as a Christian. Um, he wrote this book, <clears throat> which I read and reviewed for a Christian magazine last month. And I'm writing an article about this guy. I met up with him a few weeks ago. It's incredibly gifted evangelist in his 20s, 30 years, an incredibly gifted evangelist working for the church and training for ministry. He was in one of the most deprived estates in England. He lived, he lived there incarnationally among the people and he had an astonishing ministry there, an astonishing ministry. But he was a witness to frequent violence. He saw awful situations, including the death of infants, the death of friends, Families ravaged by mental illness, severe poverty all around him. He was trying to do what he thought God wanted him to do. And in the end, Seth lost his faith completely. He lost his faith. And he's written this book 30 years later, writing today as a skeptic and an atheist. I went to interview him and talked to him, and I thought, my interest is, how do Christians, what makes Christians, and particularly a Christian minister, lose their faith? And what should we learn from that? So there are various factors, which I won't go through today, but one of the factors for Seth was just huge disappointment with God. He asked God to do things for other people. He really, they really needed him. He really felt he knew what God needed to do, and he felt God didn't do it. There were other factors. He was young, he was unsupported, but a big factor was that God didn't step into the world in the way that Seth felt he needed to. And awful things happened. And sometimes we ask God to stop them. And he doesn't. And it can cause us to question faith as well. 
Why have you let this happen, Lord? Deep disappointment. Any bad thing happening to us in life can be a test. It doesn't mean God has sent it, but it can test us. But I will tell you this, that any bad thing that comes to us in life, my experience is God always brings something good out of it. Something good out of it. Just think, if nothing bad ever happened to us, how would we ever develop courage, valor, persistence, empathy, understanding of others and their situation? How would we ever develop those? I'm not saying God makes bad things happen. I think we live in a broken world, a damaged world. The world of Genesis 1 was perfect. And we read the, the world of Revelation 21, the end of the story, is also perfect. But we are in the middle times. And the world is broken. broken. It's in trauma. Things happen. But God always brings something good out of it. And also, important to, to, to note... We often uh, imagine God to be distant and disconnected somewhere up there. Lord, why don't you just wave your magic wand and make it right? Because you can do that. But that's wrong. God is neither distant nor disconnected nor unconcerned about our suffering. On the contrary, God accompanies us. Not only that, but God has a personal knowledge of suffering, an intense knowledge of suffering and loss himself in our struggles it can help us to know that God has been there before us God has been there before you the writer to Hebrews says doesn't he uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who was tempted in every way as we are and we know what Jesus went through that's what we're thinking about in Lent God has a personal knowledge of suffering if this is an issue for you today why do bad things happen I put a link Below the video on YouTube, which might, there's, some, there's an article there that might help you. And God says, that, um, sorry, God says we are, come, we are to come to him as a child. So it's okay to ask for things. We are to come with empty hands and open hearts and ask for the things that we think we need. But sometimes we have to understand no is also an answer. Not right now is also an answer. I have another path for you, is also an answer. We live in a broken world, but we are never alone. So let's end. What do we make of these tests and trials versus an entitlement? Tests and trials can undermine our faith, for sure. But if... All three, but if we're aware of them, they can bring us closer to God. And in a small way, that's what Christians try to do during Lent. How can I come closer to the Lord? All three of these tests begin with the idea of entitlement. Surely I'm entitled to this. Surely God will do this for me. And notice that in every case, Jesus uses scripture. Scripture written into our hearts is a huge weapon uh, when we're in situations of this sort. So just to finish on then, uh, test number one, stones to bread, or give me what I re- need right now. Just remember, soft hearts and thick skins, easy to remember. Test number two, the kingdoms of the world can be yours. I love God, but I love this even more. Can we think, perhaps this week, in our workplaces, in our homes, what is it that distracts me from God? 
What is it that takes my love, my attention, my care and distracts me from worshipping God? And then lastly, if God really cares, surely he'll do this one thing for me. God does care for you more than you can imagine. But we cannot force his hand. We cannot force his hand. We have to rely on God. And in some cases in life, that means walking the hard road. But he walks with us always. Let's pray as we end. Father God, I don't like tests. I don't like the tests that I've had in my life. And I'm sure that's the same for everybody here today and everybody listening. These are hard things, tests and temptations. But Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are molding us and shaping us and that you are with us, sometimes in ways that we don't appreciate at the time. You walk with us. You've been there before us. You also have a personal knowledge of loss, of suffering. And you're the one in whom we have our hope today, Lord. You are always with us. You hold us in your hand and you hold us for eternity. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.